Hello, everyone. This is Michael here. Uh, before we get into the episode, I just wanted to thank all of the chasers who wrote in with their stories and their anecdotes. We really, really appreciate it. We weren't able to get to all of them in this episode just because uh, there were a lot and we really like to talk about them. Um, but we're going to address the ones that were left out in next week's episode. So stay tuned for not a full part two. We'll have a, we'll have a different full topic next week, but um, we'll definitely catch up and and make sure that everybody was included. So thank you very much and enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Big Fat Gay Podcast where we talk about the things that are weighing on our minds. My name is Dan Oliverio. I'm a chubby chaser, author, public speaker, and today I'm a happy chaser because it's a lovely day, it's Christmas time, and we're going to talk about all things Chaser. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> um, I'm Trevor Kizan. I'm a super chub. And I guess today I'm uh, I'm a, a jolly chub, because um, like Dan said, it's Christmas time. Uh, and I'm Yay. actually freezing today. Uh, <laughs> you are in the coldest room of the house, honey. Yes. It is literally the coldest room. Mm-hmm. I get it. Uh, my name is Michael. I am a chaser as well, and uh, today I'm a cozy chaser. I'm I'm bundled up in my in my flannel my flannel pants and my big oversized sweatshirt, and sipping on some cocoa. It's a good day. Uh, my name is Don Marshall. I'm a big chubby guy living in sunny Hollywood, and today I am an ambivalent chaser because I am neither hot nor cold. It's just right in my house. I guess I'm the Goldilocks chub. There you go. That doesn't sound ambivalent. That sounds comfortable. <laughs> did I say I was a chaser by accident? Yes. You did. You did. <laughs> Can I retake that? Sure. <laughs> no, no. We're I'm sure chasers on, on the brain. <laughs> yeah. It's it's done. It's it's locked in vinyl. God damn Moving it. Moving forward. Oh. <laughs> How's everybody doing? It's the weekend. Hooray. Work is over. Sort Yay. of. Yay. Not really. Welcome everybody to your weekend. Oh no! Now it's Wednesday. Hi, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> You're already welcome had. to your Wednesday. <laughs> You're halfway there. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we've got a really fun show today. I'm very excited for. But uh, in true big fat gay podcast form, we're starting off with one of the like. <laughs> oh, it's one of those like. I appreciate that this is being reported. I guess, but no, I hate Jesus. this article. I hate every word of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty great i don't know it's- <laughs> i love it i think it's amazing oh. and um, this is one of those Trevor, things why don't you <laughs> thank god for my little uh news aggregator thing because that's the only reason i found this um oh it's from the new york post you know uh amazing uh, a, a pillar of journalism <laughs> their their editorial prowess <laughs> is unmatched in the modern age uh, that is the- actually a fair statement michael <laughs> <laughs> the headline is why prehistoric men were into the chubby chaser fetish colon study <laughs> which which begins my hatred of the article chubby chasing <laughs> is not a fetish <laughs> yes uh, yes there it's full of Let's say, let's generously call it misguided statements. Yes. Um, and, you know, when we link to this, I also have a link to the actual study, um, <laughs> which was basically an observation of um, Venus figurines during the, what was it? 30,000 BC. Yes. Um, yeah. And basically they noticed that 
as um to complete the picture the the meaning venus venus figurines meaning the venus of willendorf this these short sort of uh round female statues that showed very voluptuous large fat women yes um, yeah but they noticed that these figurines um got larger and more curvaceous during periods as they were advancing glaciers and falling temperatures um and there was food scarcity um they had 200 of these pieces dating covering a range of about over like almost 20,000 years and so they drew this correlation between the size of the pieces and this 20,000 year period saying you know they got fatter as the world got colder and we mm -hmm. they went into an ice age and then got thinner again after the ice age ended well which, and the original hypothesis was that the figurines represented fertility uh not insulation and fat storage but you know in a modern diet culture <laughs> that's that's how we really it, it was it. definitely yeah put through a particular lens they they you also find little gems like this hidden in the article uh quote but those who the modern day fetish community now refer to as feeders or chubby chasers once had a much different reason oh. behind their sex appeal and this is this this is the <laughs> kernel of my hatred for the article because number one calling it a fetish number two aggregating feeders and chubby chasers as you know well mm -hmm. pretty much the same thing it's interchangeable <laughs> yeah they're just interchangeable for them and what 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 kills me is that the the because it's it's we got to make it newsworthy the the point is you know back in prehistoric times there was a legitimate reason for liking fat women whereas today it's just sick and fetishistic that's it the does thrust really come across that way yeah, it really comes across that way. And so that kind of brings up my question, because, I mean, the article's full of this. It's it's full of full of that. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's yes, it's full of many things. Uh, is there a way to report a story like this where it doesn't come across like that? Is there a way to is this just a is this just a flawed way to report or is there is there never is this never going to come across? Well, right? it's designed to be clickbait. I think the the more legitimate way to cover this, but it's not as interesting is saying that these figurines may represent uh, opulence or survivalism rather than fertility. I have to praise um, the these two particular sentences. Cold insulation wasn't the only reason that ancient people praised the lard. The tubby talismans were also viewed as symbols of fecundity as increased fat would provide a source of energy during gestation. But I just like... Praise the Lord and Tubby Talismans. <laughs> yes. 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 Have I mentioned Jeez. how much I hate okay, this? Article? I think we have an episode title. <laughs> tubby Talismans, uh, I think, should be the episode. I yes. will sock I... anyone on the nose who calls me a Tubby Talisman. <laughs> <laughs> I will thwap your nose like you're a bad person. I think there's going to be guys rubbing your belly for three wishes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, you like that. <laughs> Come on, that's funny. I like it. <laughs> Depends what sort of wishes they're making. Exactly. <laughs> the New York Post continuing yes. to <laughs> forward the uh the cutting edge of modern journalism. Yes. At the front um, at the front lines of backwardness. <laughs> <laughs> so next up, I, I thought this was awesome. The the headline we have here is plus size pole dancer teaches important lesson with this inspiring BGT routine. British Britain's got talent. Um, which is a video, it's an older video, um, but there's, I guess, been an update. She's she's in the news again. Yes. Um, but the if you haven't seen it, there's a, a Britain, Britain's Got Talent episode 
where this woman, this this plus size, you know, fat woman, uh, does this pole dancing routine, which is fucking incredible. If you haven't watched it, it is awesome. They they did a kind of follow up with her, um, and she's modeling um, for a plus size clothing brand, but she also is. Um, she opened a studio called Emma's Pole Dancing, where she's teaching pole dancing. I mean, to to everyone, but I also just think it's great to, for if someone is larger and wants to learn to pole dance, to be able to have uh, a teacher who really, you know, gets how your body moves differently. Mm. Just you know mm-hmm. the, the gravity of that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but also the additional friction and gripping power of having extra flesh. Yes. So there's a there's a competitive. Uh, pole dancing circuit. I know this because uh, <laughs> yes, I met my friend's fiance <laughs> for the first time when she was participating in the world pole dancing competition. Wow, which is wow. sort of weird when you know. Hi, so now I've just watched you uh, <laughs> fly twenty feet above the ground uh, with your yoni flashing all over the place through your bikini. Um, but uh, it, it is, it is. There's a skill. At some point, we should do an outing to Jumbo's Clown Room here in L.A. If you're uh, unfamiliar with Jumbo's Clown Room, they're famous for their fully dressed pole dancing. Um, and I thought it was going to be ridiculous. Uh, and then I walked in and the shit these women were doing on the poles was shocking. Mm. Are they clowns? Uh, I, actu- I actually gave them money. No, it's called Jumbo's Clown Room because they have portraits of clowns all around the uh, as the decor. That certainly sets a vibe. <laughs> oh, it, it really does. It is not a. It is not an upscale place. Let's leave it at that. Uh, but yeah, if you're interested, check it out. It's a great little video, and the woman does an amazing performance. I actually followed her on Instagram. She has an uh, Emma Emma Haslam. I don't think we've said her name yet. Um, she has an Instagram channel. Yeah, it's very cool. So I mentioned this last week. I wanted to do another kind of. I, I found two articles. This is a follow up to last week's uh, article from Tablet. Um, and mm-hmm. in honor of Hanukkah, uh, there is kind of a, this article is a dive into Stephen Post, the man who organized the, the fat Inn in central park, which we've mentioned before, I think maybe in the first season. Um, yeah. In, in 1967. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it kind of just, it, it talks about him, which I was, you know, pleasantly surprised by because I've, I mean, I've heard the name I knew about the fat Inn. I know there was the the New York Times article about it, you know, in 1967, but it was just interesting seeing more about him. Yeah, and being able to learn a little bit more about him, he's a uh, he's Jewish, which is the sort of tie into that uh, tablet article. But um, it, it is really fascinating to just see again, like related to last week, the you can start to see the origins of what we recognize now as the fat acceptance movement. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing that's interesting to note is today we very much think of body positivity and fat acceptance as by and for women. And, you know, there's people like us who are on the air too and talking about it, but it's very interesting to look back into a lot of the origins. And, you know, certainly there were a lot of women, but there are also a lot of men where it wasn't quite so segregated by gender. And Stephen Post organizing the fat Inn in central park in 67, uh, Bill Fabre starting NAFA, the National Organization for the Acceptance of, of Fat. It, it was Fat Americans originally. I can't remember. Yeah. Is it now, Trevor? Fat Acceptance. The National fat Association acceptance. to Advance Fat Acceptance. To Advance Fat Acceptance. What I said was the original title back in 1969 when he was looking for a dress for his wife and uh, couldn't find anything in the city of Rochester. Like not, not just nothing he liked, but no clothing in her size. Mm-hmm. And he's like, how can this be? So that started an organization. 
So there's there's a lot of history with this uh, in all in all quarters, whether we're talking about black women or white men or or anywhere. So I think it's a it's a good article if you're interested in the history of this stuff and where the various threads uh, begin and how they weave together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is a challenge to listeners. <laughs> if you can stop <laughs> fat oppression. We will stop doing this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It is a simple task. (laughs) Is that a hostage threat? (laughs) It's yeah, it's it's a threat. If you can't stop that oppression, just gonna keep releasing episodes every week. (laughs) And eventually, it'll be twice a week. Yeah, (laughs) and then every day, (laughs) and then I'll lose my mind. Uh, so before we get to our main topic. Is there, is it's there Lizzo Watch. I knew it. I knew it was Lizzo Watch. Yeah. <laughs> um, Dan, how'd you know? <laughs> so, kind of first up, there was this. It start. It was first on TikTok, but then Lizzo shared it, shared it elsewhere. Um, and it kind of comes from a. I feel like there's a different word for kind of TikTok memes. But basically, um, where people were taking audio from one TikTok and recreating videos, kind of showing their bodies and showing how different bodies look and Lizzo did this uh, in this really beautiful white bikini and just kind of thriving um, jiggling living her best life is she dancing Um, to something in particular or just moving it's just her showing off her body Mm -hmm. Um, Um, just as a quick aside I clicked this link originally and the page didn't load on Instagram but it's loading now so if you have trouble getting to it just keep trying it's it's there I promise yes and Lizzo also kind of acknowledged you know um you know, she's been losing weight. She's been working out. And she says in this, um, you know, my body is changing, but I'm going to keep appreciating it from every angle, which I think is good because I think, I mean, just so much in general of people fixating on their bodies and how their bodies are changing. And I think it is important to acknowledge the beauty of your body, regardless of the state it's in or of how it's changing. Yeah, if it feels like you're in between points where you've found acceptance for your own body, whether it's at one end of the spectrum or you're working towards a different part and you're in that process of getting somewhere new, taking a minute to accept how you look in that in-between stage as well mm-hmm. um, is is important because when you start to change your perception of yourself and you say, oh, no, I actually, I, I've decided I want to look like this now. Um whatever work you did to accept where you were before can sometimes feel like it's getting written out or, or changed or undone. And I think what she's doing is good because she's trying to just remain always in the moment, no matter how she looks Mm -hmm. and accept herself, which is a struggle. Um, And it's not always something we can accomplish as she has also been very honest about sharing Mm -hmm. um, in another video that she posted. Yes. Um, So she shared kind of a TikTok, basically talking about having negative thoughts about her body and kind of dealing with that and working through that and acknowledging that, you know, as she is this pillar of body positivity, she gets a tremendous amount of harassment. That's, uh, I mean, Lizzo left Twitter because she was just getting so much hate on there. Um, yeah. And that, you know, as confident as she is, that these comments still get to her sometimes. I will say it was an interesting experience for me. I know most people didn't see this way, but I... I saw these two things back to back. The uh, video of her showing off her body, mm-hmm. having pride, feeling strong, and then the video of her talking about um, feeling low that day. And 
I really appreciated that as somebody who knows what it's like to start off a day in one mode and finish it in another Mm -hmm. or drift back and forth between both of those states over the course of several days, you know? Um, And it's the sort of thing you don't hear often. It feels like we often portray people of size as existing at one point within Mm -hmm. that spectrum. Like you either get to feel good about yourself or, or you, or you always feel bad about yourself. And we don't acknowledge that we drift back and forth between them. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. and I would also say that oftentimes, even most of the time, that's not that doesn't correspond to what your body looks like. It's yeah. because, mm-hmm. for example, if yeah. you're up, if you're up in one part of the day and down in another part of the day, it's not because you gained 50 pounds in the day or lost 50 mm-hmm. pounds. In the day. Right. It's that's. And one of the things that reminds me of is, you know, if you if you're old enough to have a lot of photographs of yourself throughout your life. And you realize, wow, I was so much more X here, but I'm so much more Y now. And, you know, and mm-hmm. and you're down on yourself because Y is not what you wanted to be. But if you were to think about it, I most people that I've talked to have this idea that, you know, you look at a picture of yourself when you were, let's say you want to be thinner and there's a picture of you when you were 10 years ago when you were thinner. And you go, wow, I, you know, I, I can't believe I looked like that. But then in the next breath you think, and at the same time back then, I thought I was so fat. Like there's no, like it's only in hindsight that you're like, wow, I I was never that fat. Or a lot of people have told me that they look at pictures from when they were kids and they remember feeling as kids that they were the fattest kid in the world from how the world reacted Mm -hmm. to them. And they look at the, they look at pictures later on. They're like, I I was kind of a chubbier kid, but I wasn't, they weren't the monster that they imagined themselves to be. And that sometimes we carry around in our head this idea that our body is always wrong, no matter what we look like, even we even when we were 100 pounds thinner or 100 pounds heavier, uh, that it's it's something we bring to it in the moment and that we can be aware of that and interrupt the process. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And seeing somebody as again, she's such a high profile figure in this space that seeing her acknowledge these things is really helpful. Like it just like a lot of times you just need permission to to think or feel the way that you do and mm-hmm. what, whatever that might be you just need to understand and have somebody that you respect tell you yeah that's okay like it's it's actually okay and that can get you through that moment so on a more positive yes note, on a more positive note um so one of lizzo's makeup artists kind of revealed in an instagram post his tip for kind of giving lizzo that lizzo glow which is glow recipe glow <laughs> Niacinamide. <laughs> Niacinamide. Yes. Dew drops. Niacinamide, yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. I had heard of this product before referenced somewhere online, and I almost got it because I was like, oh, like I. Trevor, you already glow so much. You don't want to blind people. <laughs> I know. It's, it's dangerous. <laughs> so we're going to do a, a big fat gay facial. Yes. Uh, where we're all going to. That didn't sound right, did it? No, <laughs> <laughs> or it sounded <laughs> exactly right. Exactly. Everyone just got really excited and then disappointed. <laughs> we're gonna do, we're gonna have a, a big fat game makeover. I think that's more what yes. I meant. <laughs> uh, but maybe if you're looking for that uh, that last little stocking stuffer for someone, uh, get them something from the Lizzo approved watermelon glow skincare line. Well. Uh, that will take us into our our follow up from last week. So we wanted to talk to um, the chasers of the world, the chasers that listen to the show, the people that we know, and kind of get just this sort of wide reaching 
uh, set of experiences from from the people that we know to to try and help explore that that chaser world because it it can kind of seem a little ambiguous sometimes and I think the chaser experience is a lot of times somewhat isolated mm-hmm. um, from at least from the other chasers which is something that we found was was pretty consistent um, yeah. and so we talked to a few guys uh, we've come up with uh, uh, pseudonyms for each of them so the, these aren't the real names we just wanted to be able to refer to each of them. Um, in a way that would make sense for the people listening and for us also, because some of these answers were really thoughtful and in-depth. And I think probably the easiest way to do this is just to kind of go uh, in order from from each of the guys that we talked to. Is Does that cover it? Should we, should we dive in? No, I think yeah, that's good. Yeah. yeah. Dive on in. Okay. Dive. All right. Diving away. So our first, our first listener, uh, Nate, as we've called him. Uh, answered. I think we had a couple questions that we started off as as jumping off points. Uh, which one? The first of which was, uh, when did you first discover you were a chaser and how? Um, and I thought this was funny because uh, I think he's a roughly my age, like he's you know millennial age. Um, and he said he figured it out when he was about thirteen or so. But the thing that really brought it to life for him was a a website called Newgrounds, which has uh, flash games that you could play back in like the early two thousands. And he was playing a flash game that featured the Numa Numa guy, uh, which for any of you who, who like the Numa Numa guy, who's, I don't know that he's all that fat, but he's definitely probably I, the first fat viral person, the person to go viral. I'm, I'm Googling I, it now. I think we should um, <laughs> drop oh. in a clip of the music. And I think any, anyone <laughs> Just, who knows it will instantly, it'll flash in their mind. Um, Numa it will Numa unlock Numa. that memory. Um I just thought that was a funny way to to kind of dig into that, because even though he and I grew up basically at the same time in the same way, I never that w- that never really hit me the same. Like I, I saw the Numa Numa guy when he went viral and it it never really struck me like that. But I think it just goes to show like how many different points of, I don't know, influence can hit somebody's psyche in a different way, mm-hmm. even if we're both chasers. And it was just, and his coming out story, he was, he said it was kind of a non-issue for him. I mean, he, he never, he came out as gay at the same time as he came out as a chaser. Uh, and it, it was, he said people mostly were focused on the gay part. It didn't really, <laughs> but as we'll see, like later on, that's not, that's yeah. not universal. No, <laughs> another chaser right in with a very different experience. Right. And, and that's because the communities we come out in, they definitely, I think almost always care about gay or care about fat one more than the other. And so in one mm-hmm. place you come out as a gay chaser and they're like, oh my God, you like guys. And in another place you come out and they're like, oh my God, you like fat. <laughs> and I also wonder if it depends on how you see it yourself. Like, like what you are reflecting back out into the world is how the world perceives you to a degree. Like mm-hmm. if, like he seems like he's been fairly comfortable with it and uh, has had, I, at least I know, has had a boyfriend for quite a long time. Um and I'm curious if that kind of self-confidence and outness helps just generally for other people to kind of accept it as you see yourself. Well, and I think it's symbiotic. I, I agree with you, but it's, it's also symbiotic because uh, Don's talked about this, for example, that, you know, how you feel about yourself is a reflection of how the community treats you and how the community treats mm-hmm. you is also a reflection of how you treat yourself. So, yeah, there, there, there's um, there's no chicken and egg here. It's it's symbiotic. Right. So okay. Lance wrote in. <laughs> I find him, I, I I actually was very interested by his letter because the Gen Z experience mm. of coming out is already something that's kind of foreign to me. 
<laughs> and I'm a little jealous of it. <laughs> yeah. Like, a lot of the Gen, Gen Z people I met didn't really have a formal coming out experience. They just sort of were gay. Not mm-hmm. all of them, of course. But, mm-hmm. but uh, and that's an experience that like I'm a Gen Xer. Like I can't even conceive of a, of not having that coming out experience as it's so defining to who I am now. So I, I know like as a millennial, I mean, coming out was still a thing. And I feel like I came out freshman year of high school. Um, I know some other millennials that like, you know, came out young, you know, in eighth grade. Mm-hmm. But now I know like mm-hmm. Gen Z kids or, you know, I guess young adults now who came out in like when they were eight. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, I mean, no, which I could have done. I knew I was gay when I was in kindergarten. I knew it like that wasn't even a question. But for my age group, I think the idea of coming out before you were self-sufficient, mm. like able to stand on your own two feet just in case your parents threw you out of the house, mm. yeah. wasn't even on the radar. Like well, that, I never would have considered that. I definitely had the coming out, the formal, you know, sit down, come out experience in dealing with, for example, my father. But for my high school friends, because I, I was pretty much asexual in high school which, you know, uh, another chaser down the line that we're going to talk about hits exactly how I felt, which is, you know, I, I, I didn't know what sexuality I was. I wasn't sexual. And so mm-hmm. going from that to being gay for my high school friends, I just I didn't sit anybody down. I just started not censoring myself and started saying things like, oh, wow, he's hot. And they're like looking at me, looking at what I'm looking at, looking at me, looking what I'm looking at. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I think he's talking about that fat guy. <laughs> and, and so I never I didn't sit anybody down. It was more of that. Like, I just stopped. I just stopped stopping myself. That's interesting. I think that's kind of a similar way of how I did it, where I, I never really like I never really came out in quotes as a chaser. Um, I would say actually doing this podcast is is about as close as I've come to sort of announcing I'm a chaser, literally saying those words to a bunch of people that I, you know, but I think when I was sort of coming through my late teens and twenties, I just, I had to come out as gay. And then I just dated the guys that I was interested in and they were fat guys. And so people understood that that's who I was interested in, but I never really did the coming out process until again, like I think basically the start of this year. <laughs> Well, Lance talked about the experience. He gave us sort of the opposite experience of Nate, where he talks about like his coming out as gay was not that difficult. People were basically accepting. And then he brought his first boyfriend home to his parents and they were kind of shocked and horrified at the fat, not at the penis. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Which I think is pretty interesting. I feel like uh, we've talked a little bit about the concepts of intersectionality already. And I feel like this is the... an external intersectionality where, okay, you like something one degree of separation from what I expect for you to like. You're gay or you're fat, right? Um, And then when you like gay and fat, it's two degrees of separation Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from what Mm -hmm. people expect you to like. So maybe the reaction is more vehement. I don't know. Well, and then when you get to the internalization, when you have internalized homophobia and then internalized fat phobia, or as you know, uh, I talk about in my book, one guy told me like, you know, dear Lord, if you had to make me a faggot, how come you had to make me a faggot who likes fat guys? Mm. <laughs> Where it's, it's for a lot of chasers, it's just doubled because they can barely come out as, I mean, 
a lot of chubs have suffered really terrible chasers and it's because the chaser can't deal with himself and it it often comes from that they can barely handle being gay in some cases and yeah. and other people like we're talking about here they have you know they handle gay that's no big deal you know a quarter of their friends are gay not a big deal but like oh you like fat guys hmm, that's weird yeah i think it's funny because he does draw a bit of a difference uh our, our gen z writer lance who where he says that it was his parents that were not they weren't super happy about him being gay but it was really the, the fat thing that they were more upset about but his friends were on the whole quite accepting it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and he has this little anecdote which i think is hilarious he said uh hell once when i brought this up to a straight friend he admitted that he has and i swear to god i'm not making this up quote gotten really into the bbw tag on pornhub mm-hmm. <laughs> end quote <laughs> And I, well, and that's a and great that, example of what we talked about in another episode where a lot, you know, the question was, where are the chasers? And a lot of times the chasers don't know they're chasers like this, this guy right. looking at fat girls on a Pornhub site going, huh, that's kind of hot. <laughs> I find it kind of interesting because like I, I find with most people I know, we're pretty open about porn. Like we talk about porn uh, like it's. And the, the concept of like you have this entire secret life of porn that doesn't have to be secret like if you mm. talked about your pornography you might discover you're not as alone as you thought you were yeah um, <laughs> especially re- since like bbw is one of the biggest search terms in many states in the u.s you know i'm reminded of um my mom watching sex in the city and being horrified mm. that these women are talking about sex with their friends and like who does that? Who who talks about <laughs> sex with their friends? And it's everyone. Everyone should. It's healthy. It's yes. it's literally a part of your primal existence. You know, food, breathing, sleep, and sex. Like these are mm-hmm. these are the four things we exist for on a physical level. Um, and to try and hide that off from other people, it just doesn't seem healthy. Well, yes, but remember that a lot of times. There's the porn you're allowed to watch and the porn you're not supposed to like. And that is certainly the case with Chubby Chasers. I mean, as we found, no matter how much you try to hide it, archaeologists are going to find it later. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, but you'll be dead. (laughs) Come on. Okay, so quick question. Who here at some point has had an agreement with a friend where if you get hit by a bus or something terrible happens, they're going to come over to well, they're going to come over to your apartment and get rid of a secret stash in a closet somewhere or clear out a cache in your computer or smash your phone. Yeah, <laughs> it's you know, what's funny about that is I I've never really I've at least not since I lived at home when I was a child like that. That's a different story. But as an as an adult, I've never really had that worry because my my sort of sexual attraction is so open already that like people know what i like it's not the same as watching the porn that i watch but it's it's it is so open at this point that like they wouldn't find anything that would be so surprising i don't know like it doesn't and you're gonna be dead who cares (laughs) it's the memory that counts it's your legacy what do you want people to remember you as a porn monster I, I just I just have trouble envisioning me worrying about that from beyond the grave. <laughs> There's a lot of I think I think of it more as like protect back in the day, I thought of it more of protecting uh people near me Ugh. rather than my my own dead uh self concern. You know? 
I don't know. I think there's a lot of uh, horny, embarrassed ghosts out there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they haven't been able to pass on to the next life because their porn is still out there. (laughs) I'm curious if any of you have had the experience of being a young kid and finding your father's porn stash and then judging them because (laughs) of it. I had the opposite experience of having parents that like, how did you ever conceive me? There is no evidence you people even know what sex is. How did I, how did you ever make me, given that there, there was zero dialogue about sex. There was zero evidence of sex. There was zero interest in sex. There was, there were, like it was huh. like we were talking about a planet that hadn't been discovered. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I have to say my experience was pretty similar to that. I don't, maybe not quite as extreme, but definitely not really talked about hinted at alluded to never found any porn stashes search history i mean later in life so i I guess some of that stuff developed but yeah as a kid never stumbled across that stuff and i think the first time was me typing something like typing sex.com into the search bar on the internet when i was like nine i think that was probably (laughs) the first and then like when i was a little older I, in middle school, I think uh, some friends of mine took me over to somebody's house to watch a porn that they had gotten their hands on. A porn. Isn't there a joke in Family Guy about saying it that way? A porn, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you got two porns. It's a porno or <laughs> porn. Um, and that was really off-putting because, of course, it was disgusting. But I digress. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. Like, uh, I, I found a porn uh, tape. Uh, at a young age, it was all straight porn. Uh, it was called a uh, Swedish erotica. It was oh. the line of porn. Yeah, and because it's not thing, dirty. Okay, it's so Swedish. the first thing, no, I I found it at a young age where like I was already interested in sex, but I hadn't. Uh, my orgasms were dry at that point, mm. right? I I hadn't quite gotten old enough for anything to happen with that. So the first time I saw semen was in a porno tape. And mother oh. of God, it was most horrific, disturbing, <laughs> what the ever loving fuck is coming out of that person experience uh, I old, ever had. How old were I, you? I was, I'm, I don't, I'm not sure. I was really young. I'm guessing nine, 10, something like that. Oh man. Um, <laughs> I mean, the other thing was I didn't guess that I was gay, even though I was more interested in the dudes than the women. All the dudes in the like the seventies porn were kind of mm, no. There, there were a lot of Ron Jeremy's back then. Yeah, um, <laughs> I actually remember the first time there was a there was a straight performer named Jerry Butler, and like he was the first time I ever saw a pretty man in a porno, mm. and uh, that that clinched a lot of things for me. Yeah, <laughs> clinched. You say? Yeah, that clinched, was what I was thinking. clinched repeatedly. <laughs> yeah. So our our next response is a little more serious. So. uh Sorry to kind of bum you out when you're in your uh, your chortles here. <laughs> um, it's it's always a ride on the Big yeah. Fat Gay podcast. Um, but so uh, Lance, is it Lance, Leia. Lance was talking about kind of his parents' reactions um, and disapproval of the the fat aspect of the boyfriend he brought home. And Alex kind of had a similar experience um, because he grew up fat, and he said, "Growing up, my family always made fun of me for being chubby." I'm not talking about a little teasing. It was full on mean and hurtful. I ultimately think that's what gave me body dysmorphia and made me feel more comfortable around larger people. I should say Um, that that experience of being a fat kid is very uh, common amongst chubby chasers. 
Uh, yes. That, ha- that was really? also part of my background. I was a fat kid yeah. and made fun of horribly for it. Um, hmm. Or I, even, um, sorry, uh, or even just the the aspect of there being a very toxic environment around um, yeah. body culture in a mm-hmm. household. That was a little bit more mine. I, I was kind of in the middle because I, I certainly thought I was a fat kid and I wasn't, you know, like the white skinny kid, like that thing, like the skinny white kid. Mm-hmm. I wasn't that. And so because I wasn't that, I thought I was fat. And then like Trevor was saying, the environment around how bodies and fat is talked about when I was growing up was not ideal. Mm-hmm. I wonder if part of the chaser mentality contains um, like a desire for taboo. From the way you're describing it, it kind of sounds like that may be a factor. I, I'm not sure it's a desire for taboo, but I will say that it it can allow us to find kinship in taboo, which is what yeah. which is what Alex is talking about. And I think it also becomes one of the things we have to get over about ourselves in liking that which is not li- you know we're told is unlikable, mm-hmm. and then yeah. having to get through that not just about our own bodies, but then about our sexuality. Over on you know above and beyond just being gay, uh, for straight chasers there's there's a little bit uh, there's actually kind of a different arc for for them it's kind of interesting because if you're a a white straight male uh, fa chubby chaser you've never had the experience of coming out of a closet you grew up in a mm-hmm. world as a, as a straight white man you grew up in a world that was designed for you and so then when you figure out that you like 3 400 pound women all of a sudden you for the first time in your life you you're you're inside this taboo that nobody knows about and if you're gay you might have had a practice run at this like coming out as gay but if mm-hmm. you're a straight white guy that you have very little to hang your hat on as a way of overcoming this Alex has more to say, though. Yes. He also talks about um, just kind of now this moment of body positivity um, and acceptance. How is great to kind of see that we're in this moment of body positivity and body uh, acceptance. Um, But he also touches on uh, watching Dan's true life special um, and seeing seeing himself kind of in the world um, and represented on TV. That was actually the most gratifying thing about doing that show. Uh, MTV True Life. Uh, it, it certainly wasn't my show. I, I appear very briefly in it. Uh, it's about three fat people who are not trying to lose weight. That's the big surprise. It's the episode is called Happy to Be Fat, uh, and I just show mm-hmm. up as an you know, as a second act love interest for one of the guys. But we got so many cards and letters about that. It is. It continues to be one of the most viewed episodes in the history of this Emmy Award winning documentary series True Life. And it just changed people's lives to see themselves reflected and that it didn't make chubby chasing some sort of craven. Well, like the New York Post article we just we just talked about. Yeah, that makes right. that makes an interest in fat people clearly at best perversion. Right. If not, in fact, abusive. Uh, so it, it was really an important thing that I, a reason that I did it and that apparently a lot of people got out of it. Yes. Hmm. Um, Alex also had a similar experience to Lance kind of in he didn't come out as a chaser and i alex is also kind of from the chicago area and i feel like there is this midwestern thing where (laughs) like and i definitely get it like okay so i came out once i'm just gonna show up and people are gonna figure it out and no one's probably gonna say anything in the moment because it's the midwest (laughs) there's that (laughs) midwest (laughs) um 
Well, but I mean, I hear that from a lot of chasers. They say, and you know, like I'll say, are you out to your parents about being a chubby chaser? And they'll say, I don't know. I just keep bringing fat guys home. Like they probably figured it out by now. <laughs> yeah, which I think is, I don't know. I'm just picturing every time he leaves the kitchen with his boyfriend, the parents just turn to each other and go, well, he's got a type. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, that's exactly what happens. <laughs> I mean, yeah. With my mom and Dan, yep. it wasn't until there was a time she was visiting and uh, there was a photo album on the coffee table. No, no. <laughs> and my mom was flipping through it. And like then she had the Eureka moment. And I just was I was in the kitchen and she's like, oh, Dan likes big boys. <laughs> and I was like, well, yeah. <laughs> Have you seen yourself? <laughs> um, well, and there's that there's that thing. And I've gotten the opposite of that, where people will say to me, like, wow, it's so great that it doesn't bother you how big they are. Like, like I'm doing some sort of magnanimous gesture, not excluding mm-hmm. fat guys from my web repertoire. And I very haste, I, I hasten to add when people say that, it's like, no, 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 I'm completely into how fat they are. I, I think that's a great <laughs> thing. Like, because they want right. to give me some sort of credit for overlooking how fat they are. And I'm like, mm-hmm. no, 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 that's an right. important secret ingredient. <laughs> like, I'm not going to let that slide. <laughs> um, so uh, our last writer um got inspired and and i, I want to thank first of all thanks to everybody who who wrote in with their responses and allowing their personal stories to be shared so that we can sort of talk about them and uh this last one was quite long and so we're going to sort of take it as we can piece by piece but um suffice it to say there's a lot of of really interesting points with their we've dubbed him casey um for our last one, I'm, I'm need your help, guys. Uh, yeah, because there's, I, I would there's just so many different interesting Casey, parts of it. Casey uh, probably most fully captures a lot of my experience being a chubby chaser uh, in that way of like being gay and being a chaser were like two unknown quantities. He has this great metaphor, Casey does, where he says, you know, if you think of them as as strands of a rope being intertwined, but he says it's the rope is tied at both ends. So there's no way to unravel it. It's just like a single unit that you can pull the strands right. apart, but they snap back together again. And I just thought that was a great metaphor for how it was, at least for me and for a lot of chasers, trying to get gay and fat as distinct, but not distinct. And yeah, and he talks about this, this sort of as growing up and getting into his college years, like this sort of over all encompassing cognitive dissonance between the you know the four words of i like fat men mm. but then fighting himself as a kid and as a teenager is separate trying to separate that out like dan was saying like pulling the pieces the strands of the rope separate of i like men versus i like fat and i like fat men and it just turned into this dissonance of, well, I'm just asexual. I'm not, I'm focused on school right now. I'm, and you, and, and trying to bury these things in different parts of the yard when really they're just, they're all interconnected. Um, and he has a lot of really, really uh, potent stories about that. Are yeah, those, it totally captured my experience. It was really great. I mean, I'd, say, that, I'd say half the things that Casey wrote in this long letter are, are, are also in my book. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, and they're, the one that really stuck out to me uh, was when he was talking about the first time that he really, really like felt and understood that he was attracted to to fat men mm-hmm. was when he was a kid, mm-hmm. uh, a little kid. It was elementary school age, somewhere around, you know, six, seven, eight, nine. 
he and his dad and his brother went to the pool to go swimming and uh, something got pool. left behind. And so, yes. yeah, a public pool and something got left behind. His dad and brother went to get it and he was standing by the entrance when uh, a man pulled up in his car, got out in his swim trunks and he was this big, fat, beautiful man. And the this like tidal wave of emotion and awe that like swept over um, Casey when he saw this guy get out of his car and walk past him towards the pool was uh, he describes it as breathtaking uh, the kind of admiration and awe you feel when you see an incredible painting for the first time or a striking natural landscape view from the top of a mountain. His brain just kind of shut off and all I could think was wow. And that is so relatable. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Me too. And I, I think chasers don't talk about that enough and we especially don't talk about it enough to chubs. And I don't know if it's because we feel vulnerable and goofy saying it, but you mm. know, telling a fat guy that you're in bed with that you were just in awe of him, like you're just gaga over him. And sometimes it's perfectly obvious to the chub that mm. <laughs> they're in the presence of boom. <laughs> 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 but it's it's I think the other the way other way to say that is I think a lot of chasers don't cop to that because it is being very vulnerable. Because you are just gobsmacked by the beauty of a beautiful fat man. But it also, I also feel like, you know, Jesus, if Chubbs knew that they had that power over us, (laughs) we'd be lost. (laughs) 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 So never let them know that, never let them know that they're that powerful. Trevor's uh, doing his best job impression. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> as soon as you started doing that, I started picturing Dan in a Leia outfit, which is absolutely a, a weird. Combo. I mean, that's how it is most days. <laughs> well, and so, there's, yeah, go ahead. Uh, no, go ahead. Well, I was going to say that there is this sort of implied power dynamic that the fat person in society is without power and the thin person, the chaser, is privileged. And that's true. But in the bedroom, that tends to get reversed. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, you know, the, the fat person is, uh, is not just the object of admiration because it has that word object in there, but something that is awe inspiring. And the irony is that the fat person often doesn't get that. They're just living their life being fat. <laughs> They're completely unaware of their godhood. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to know how that story struck Chubbs in the room. Exactly. Oh, his uh, in in our virtual room right now. Who the Don? And, well, like I said Trevor, earlier, Don. Like I wanted strategy. to get the chub on the street yeah. take of what that's like for you as you know a, a, a man on the street, garden variety fat guy, hearing this about you. I'm a little befuddled by it because I don't feel that way exactly. Ever, <laughs> you know, no one's ever made me feel admired in the street. Like that's not something that's even on my radar. Um, what about in the shoes? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. and it's funny what you were talking about as far as the power dynamic goes, where in my experience, when we get into the bedroom, no matter what our interactions were like outside the bedroom, like, you know, uh, friendly, chatty, straight to business, whatever. Um, as soon as we get into the bedroom, a lot of them are just like, okay, now tell me what you want. Just I will, I will take whatever you're willing to give me, order me, like do whatever you want, you know, and, and it's with more than a few of them, it's been such a wildly different person 
yeah. than I met outside the room, then mm-hmm. I get I get a little bit of whiplash. Well, and it's you know? the and same- I had the opposite experience too, which was very interesting. Where I I actually I did a hookup with this guy, very cute, but very um, like please tell me what you want and how I need to worship you and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was to a point of subservience, right? Yeah. And then once we got past that point, and we you know we finished the business at hand (laughs) all of a sudden he became a normal human being again and we actually had like wonderful conversations he was fascinating and charming and uh, but not this like please use me personality that was there Mm. a few minutes ago yeah and that's Um, i think that's part of that can also be part of another kink that can be part of the power dynamic that can just be personality but i would definitely say i've had that experience with chubs where like i'm on a date with a chub and oh my god you would think it was a friggin' job interview or an IRS audit for how unsexy this lunch or this dinner is. And luckily, and, and, and when I was much younger, I, my conclusion was, oh, I guess they're just not into me. And then I would find out days later that like, they, cause they would tell me, they'd be like, oh my God, I was so into you. I'm like, well, you could have told me, you could have shown hmm. me because there was so, there was such an asexuality going on there because we were in a public place and I look like I look and he looks like he looks. But then if we get back to the bedroom, then all of a sudden it becomes a sexual space. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, hold on, Tiger. Let's, let's, let's be people too. <laughs> I will say like, uh, that story, the, the story by the pool, mm. uh, like I find that charming and sweet and it actually makes me feel nice. Yeah. But the common reaction I had to reading a lot of these emails was actually a little negative for me. In that the common experience for a lot of these guys seemed to be that the fact that they were attracted to me caused them pain. Yep. And that that hurts that like, you know, to start in a place of of originally thinking that, you know, there aren't people that are attracted to me and then finding out, oh, there are people that are attracted to me and they're being punished for it. It is that attraction is hurting them. I I it's taking in i still haven't fully wrapped my brain around it like that well what I, one of the things painful. i say in my yeah. seminars is that we're all in this together i mean fat oppression mm-hmm. may look different to chubs than to chasers but it affects us both very strongly mm-hmm. yeah i love me a good chaser origin story um, <laughs> because i feel like guy like chasers they either have it and it is like uh like casey's where it is like i feel like it's like spider-man number one and i'm getting all these details and all these specifics or it's like <laughs> yeah i just kind of thought i fat guys were hot right i a lot of time i feel like that almost depends on the the the, the depth and introspection that a chaser is able to <clears throat> conjure because yeah I, I find it hard to believe i mean maybe this is because it's not my experience but the whole like Oh yeah, I guess I just like fat always, and I don't know. That's what it is. Like that, that, that. I don't know. That feels evasive to me. Well, but if if you grow up in a community where gay isn't a big deal and fat isn't a big deal, then that's going to be your coming out experience about liking gay fat guys. Is that it's no big deal. It's. Uh, uh, I, I don't know the, how common that is, but that's it's going to line that's, up. Like that, that was yeah. <laughs> I wonder how many like just straight guys have a eureka moment for when they realize they were attracted to women. You mean fat women or women at all? I mean, just women at all. Oh, all right. Just period women. You know, mm-hmm. like, I feel like it's the fact of the fact of our specific interests that we can remember. So, for example, oh, I, 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 I brought this up on the show before. 
I've asked a lot of white guys, like, what do you remember the first time you saw yourself on television? <laughs> of course. Right. <laughs> and no, no straight white guy does. None. I remember the first time yeah. I saw myself represented yeah. on television. Yeah. You know, and mm. like that means something, you know, so if if being attracted to women is just the baseline there, you know, and it's exactly I'm just reiterating what Dan said. If it's not shocking, it's not notable. Yeah. You know, uh, so the other the other thing that I so I feel like we're just touching on this last last aspect that I really wanted to get into, which was chaser relationships with chasers. Mm hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. And across all of these universally, there is no relationship like none of them. Not really. No. But Casey's response, I think, made me understand it better after having mm -hmm. read it. Um, why don't we get to his response? What he says about because we asked the question, like, do you know any other chasers? And he uh -huh. says he says this really great thing. He says, well, yeah, I know, too. You know, and uh, and then he writes thinking to himself, yeah, but Michael and Dan don't count. And he's like, oh, damn, I guess I don't know too. <laughs> and he goes through this thing about like, okay. And there's this really great rumination where his conclusion is basically he's not friends with any chasers unless he knew them first as friends and then discovered they were chasers or had a similar interest to him. Yeah, um, which is actually funny because I knew him vaguely, like in chance and passing, before we started the podcast and once we started the podcast he and i connected and it was like hey this is who i am this is who you are but that's amazing and i was like oh my god i had no idea why haven't we been friends this whole time exactly. <laughs> you like fat guys i like fat guys <laughs> well and I it is rather it. a non but it is a huge deal um because it's, it's not good to have a wingman mm. well and you can't count on it like i don't know it, it may be just a matter of uh, of confirmation bias, but it's pretty rare that I find another chaser out there in the wild. Mm -hmm. But the other problem is like, how often does that come up in a conversation? Mm -hmm. What Casey made me understand or like the thought that he gave me was that the reason that chasers so seldom know each other or bother with each other, frankly, because, you know, I could go on a, a on a Chub Chaser site and guess what? I'm not talking to a lot of chasers. <laughs> or yeah. or actually maybe I am because I'm kind of in the business of talking to chasers and chubs but very few other chasers know other chasers and I was thinking it's how, why is that so different because Casey brings up the fact that like gay guys know other gay guys like it's not about that but I was mm -hmm. thinking that the difference is that you know if I go out to a bar with my gay friends and one of my gay friends knows another group of gay guys. Now I become friends with those gay, those gay guys. And now I have a whole circle of gay friends. And maybe we always go to that bar and my, my, the, the acquaintances I know, or you go to work, like, you know, you work with this guy in a writer's room and now you know him and you know his other friend and maybe, you know, his girlfriend and your, your, your circle sort of naturally expands in that social milieu. But as a chubby chaser, the only time this comes up is when we're online like the only other chasers i know is because we know each other through a particular chub i know michael because mm -hmm. of trevor right right i know don because of michael and and yeah. so it's very much mediated through the chub such that we all we don't have meaning that we don't have an environment where chasers just meet each other by accident we only meet each other through a particular context and that context is usually trying to hook up with a chub <laughs> yeah i I think that it just becomes defined by 
what you're what you're looking for is is supposed to be this secret thing, even though it really shouldn't be, but that's still basically how it's treated. And so you go look for it in ways that are fairly private, like online. Um, and that creates these one-to-one interactions instead of like Dan was saying, like going into a social setting. Um, and, and as we've established the the chasers are out there, they're just in hiding. They're just, they're not, they don't have a sign on their head that says, hello, I'm a chaser. And so you're not, socializing with a bunch of other chasers you're socializing with the chub who might tell you about another chaser i mean the only thing that i can bring up as a as a counterpoint to this which i don't have any personal experience with would be chub chaser events um, yeah and there's but two, i don't i've never been to one well there's two things to say there at a, at a large scale chub chaser event you still have one way to describe if you've ever been to a chub chaser event it's a lot like dating on a game show that, oh boy well it, oh. Does, it can especially if it's a massive event like if it's a massive event like say bigger vegas where you literally have 800 to a thousand guys there and in the back of everyone's mind at some level is getting laid like that is i, I don't know if it's job one or job three but it's not job 107 <laughs> sure so there is this other thing where one of two things happens either the chasers become just blinded by headlights <laughs> because because most chasers have never most chasers have never had the experiencing of managing more than one chub at a time like you date a chub and you're with him or maybe you're kind of dating a couple of chubs but you know two and, and you're and you're doing this all through online so it's not like an it's not like an you're not doing it at a bar usually like you're not mm-hmm. talking to two chubs. So their, their experience at an event is, this should all go into an event show. But my point is, very yeah. seldom are the chasers hanging out with each other unless they are. Unless they establish this little wolf pack of chasers, and I've seen it happen, mm-hmm. where they're all talking to each other. None of the chubs dare approach. They're all talking about the chubs. And it has this eerie sort of... I don't know, predator prey environment where uh, you've got, my God, you've got it's a sh- wolf pack and I'm yeah. an elk. <laughs> no, it, no, really. It's like you've got the herd of sheep and the wolf pack and they're deciding who to pick off. Of Can we course, go with elk instead of sheep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going for a majestic antlered beast and you're sticking me in a pen with wool. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying they're not in a pen. Although, yeah, they are. It's called the, uh, it's called the hospitality suite. Anyway, <laughs> but my point is that the other side of that too is the chasers are scared to death because guess what? The chubs are also huddled together. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you the number of times I can't make a move to ask a chub out at one of these events because they're all herded together and I, I can't, <laughs> I can't have a private conversation with one and it really sucks to go. I'm interested in you, but not your other two fat friends. You know, that's a horrible well, and I, to have to I will do. say that <laughs> in these little chub huddles, there is exchanging of like kind of Info. personal experiences yeah. and kind of gossip and you know oh he said i was his first too <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> like stuff like that where it's just like especially with notes. the especially with like you know the this wolf pack that forms there's a lot of analyzing and discussion of breaking down that wolf pack and like you know a sh- sharing of notes yeah, but, but at the other end of the spectrum, I have met chasers at these events where uh, I, I talk about this one guy in my book where it took him three times at an event for him actually to talk to a fat guy 
First time he went to the event, he just stayed in his room the entire weekend. So, oh. But then he oh, came back. Man. He came back the next year. Second time, he uh, planted himself behind the behind the potted plants against the wall and watched everybody. That was second. That was oh. the second. Visit. Third time, he actually worked up the nerve to talk to a fat guy because fat guys for him are just such magical, amazing creatures. Now, they're human beings. <laughs> but when you've pent up, when you've got this much pent up longing and this much inexperience, that's how that occurs. Mm. You know what? I'm going to disagree with Dan on this one. We are, in fact, magical beings. <laughs> hey, I'll go with it. Okay. I'll go let's, with it. Let, let's be very clear on that. <laughs> I am an elk, not a sheep. <laughs> <laughs> so I, there's one thing just to bring up real quick about this, which is I feel like uh Community brings thought, community brings action, community brings people together. So true. And if chasers are sort of being scattered around, not connecting to each other, only connecting through the chubby guys, that's, it's hard to build a community when literally half of that community is just orbiting around the community. Mm -hmm. So chubs, it may be in our best interests to actually see if we can find ways to help chasers meet each other. Um, not just for community, but because if you really want that awesome three-way, you got to make sure that they're comfy with each other. Are you saying, Don, that the elk need to herd the wolves? <laughs> yes. God damn it. Yes. Well, I don't think that's a terrible idea. I, I, I think I'm just trying to imagine it pragmatically, how a chub would do that and what would make it appealing to the chaser. Because the chaser is going to hear this as an invitation to a three-way or a comparison competition. That's the first instinct of most chasers, I think. Uh, I mean, because Michael, if you were if you were seeing a chubby guy and the chubby guy says, oh, wow, there's this, there's this other guy who's totally into me, too. You should meet him. Well, You'd obviously, like, oh, you shouldn't why? introduce two chasers <laughs> to each other simply because they're both attracted to you. That's a terrible. But idea. that's how you know. But, them. <laughs> but for example, I'm a big geek. Right. I love role playing games. I love comic books. The chasers I connect with tend to have those same interests. All right. Fair enough. So when I bring them together to game. Or, you know, to, you know, bad movie nights, that sort of thing. You can build your geek community that happens to have multiple chasers in it that now have a social lubricant besides you. And uh, <laughs> well, like, but let me ask you that if, but, if I can get a little salacious with it. The first the my first three way was sprung on me by surprise by two chaser friends who had talked out a game plan beforehand. And I, the only reason I knew them both together is because of a gaming context, you know? Mm. So, mm. you know, and I'll be honest, like I might not have said yes to either one of them individually, but the concept of like, oh, well, it's a two for one. <laughs> I, that sounds really exciting to me. I'll give I don't really deal. like anchovies, but if I get two for the price of one, that makes it worth it. <laughs> <laughs> That's unfair, actually, because they're both really incredibly sweet guys and very attractive. So. Yeah, but but I, I, just, I get what you say about it raising the stakes, it raising the excitement, it it, and not to mention the flattery factor, which I'm not accusing you of. I've been victim to it myself of like, wow, mm -hmm. they really want me. I should want this too. Yeah, mm -hmm. I admit that. You know, and it's the only forehand massage I've ever received. So there that was you nice. go. Um, I don't know. We've gone on long enough, but I feel yeah. like as long as we're doing salacious, this probably will make the cut. Um, I'm one of the very few chasers. I'm curious what you think, Michael. I'm I am not into the idea of being with two chubs at once. That to me is a management problem. I would, <laughs> I would much rather be because because I do have that intimate relationship with chubs when I get with them. And I would much rather be in a three-way with another chaser 
because quite frankly, the only way I'm going to relate to a chaser sexually is through a ch the mediation of a chub. Like that's the only way he and I are going to really have any fun in the room is if there's a really beautiful fat guy there to center this around. I think my take on it would be a little, it would be a slightly different approach. I, I agree with the idea that tr tr me individually trying to manage two chubs where they're both looking at me would be a lot. But I think it would have to work where all three people are into at least two other people there. Yeah. Like, I, I think that's more the line that I would go where I, I can't be the one person trying to keep all the plates spinning. But if so, I think it could go either direction. It would just have to be like, yeah, I think I think I think that's more the direction I would go with it. I feel like you know our chaser spotlight today is needs to wrap up. Yeah, I'm sure we will do more chaser spotlights in the near future. We've clearly pent uh, up a lot of this discussion. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the reasons why we're running long is because there's a lot more material here to go over, and yes. we're just sort of skimming it. So uh, do not be afraid. We will return to this topic at a later point. But for now, Trevor, do you have a tip for today? Yeah. So maybe uh, you you need a. The shower after your little three-way we just had, and maybe that whole discussion was cut, and you're you're salivating for more. But you're gonna find out about this new product instead. That is the plus push the the the, the, the plus plush towel, <laughs> um, which is a wonderful oversized towel. Um, it is forty by ninety. It's the thick and thirsty towel for the thick and thirsty individual. Yes. Is this Ooh. is this a is this the same thing as a bath sheet? No, this is larger than a bath sheet. Oh, really? Yes. Wow. Um, Would you say forty uh, inches by ninety inches? Yes. Yeah, that's massive. I I want to buy one of these because <laughs> I mean we have some normal size towels now. I want one just to have it. That sounds amazing. Yes. Um, I suggest keeping a few around your house if. You are uh, a chaser who, you know, I mean, the plus side to a smaller towel is it doesn't cover every, cover everything, but also you know there's a lot of surface area to dry. So let's mm -hmm. let's be practical here. <laughs> well, and you know yeah. I think this could make a very good Christmas gift for that chaser on your list. Yeah, yeah, but get on it because <laughs> yeah, this is. <laughs> and if you've Wednesday. ever read the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, mm. you know how important it is to have a towel. So true, Don. So yes, true. I brought a bit today that uh, ties into. One of our earlier news stories about uh, ancient cavemen being fascinated by yes. people, uh, which gave birth to uh, basically I've got three questions about famous art from the past. Oh, my. Hmm. Uh, starting off with the Venus of Illendorf. Uh, the Venus of Illendorf is one of the most famous and ancient statues that has ever been uncovered. Uh, the icon of a very fat motherly figure with a face covered by a braid or a cap of some sort has been carbon dated to about 27,000 BC. Hmm. Although it has improved my understanding of ancient man by giving us revelations of migration patterns, craft skills, and possibly even an ancient trade network, its actual purpose is still actually under some debate. Which of the following uses is not something that scientists have guessed at? <laughs> All right. Hmm. One, a fertility figure pass, passed down through generations to help with, well, fertility. Two, a mother goddess figure of worship, three, an early form of currency, or four, porn. <laughs> I go with currency. Uh, I'm going to go with currency. I say currency. 
Yeah, we talked the crap out of this thing earlier in the episode. We're like, oh, well, that just shot this uh, this question to hell. Yes. An early form of currency, although it has been posited that they were used for trade, they were not created explicitly for trade. I have to hmm. say, I was, um, I was hoping you were going to say for one of the possible answers, like, cracking open walnuts or something. <laughs> oh, I was trying to figure out a tool. I was trying to figure out a tool at one point. That's what I got to uh, open. <laughs> I started thinking about the movie, the gods must be crazy. It's like, they used it to crush roots. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. Question two, moving mm. forward in time. Uh, in the early 1600s, Peter Paul Rubens was already becoming a skilled artist, becoming well-known for his rendering of lush, larger-than-life figures with strapping muscular men and voluptuous full-figured women. His delightful images have given birth to the word Rubenesque, arguably one of the few positive words used today to describe fat people in flattering terms. He wasn't just an artist, though. What other career is he also known for? He, one, he was an accomplished diplomat representing Spain in the Eighty Years' War. Two, he was a well-known alchemist who received large sums of money from both Span uh, Spanish and Italian patrons who hoped he would be able to turn lead to gold. Three, he secretly owned a brothel in Antwerp where his prostitutes were legendary for their beauty, lushness, and shall we say voluptuousness. See, final answer. <laughs> or, <laughs> or four, he was a notorious gigolo known for seducing the older voluptuous wives of noblemen across Europe Though some rumors say it wasn't just the wives he bedded. Ooh. Hmm. Wait, 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 there's no Pee Wee play. There's no Pee Wee's Playhouse option for Rubens. There is no Pee Wee's Playhouse. Option. I was thinking there was going to be a sandwich option. <laughs> <laughs> oh, when he sailed to the Thousand Islands. Yes, that's right. Yes. <laughs> that's I'm going to say diplomat. I am still going for C brothel final answer. <laughs> brothel? Okay, we got a brothel owner. I I'm going to go for diplomat too. That's just it just flags my attention. And the correct answer is in fact diplomat. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Boo. He was Flemish born, and he uh, not only settled several disputes between Spain and England, but also helped settle the Eighty Year War between uh, Spain and oh, wow. other people. Yeah, he, he was he was so, older than he looked. Last side note, I think my sexual awakening started with looking at Rubenesque paintings. Oh, interesting. Well, you might have actually had some awakenings looking at our next artist. Oh. Uh, who is actually still alive. <gasps> uh, Fernando Batero. Oh, yes. Uh, perhaps South America's best known artist, recognized throughout the world for his singular style incorporating rotund, whimsical figures and objects, often suffused with a subtle brand of satire. By manipulating space and perspective, he draws attention to the monumentality of his figures, showing them in spaces that seem too small to contain them. He has remained adamant that he does not paint fat people. What he paints, he insists, is volume and the sensuality of form. Mm -hmm. I like that answer. Yes. Uh, if his uncle had his way, though, Botero would never have become an artist. At a young age, his uncle enrolled him in a trade school for what trade? One. Sewer maintenance, because he thought Botero was full of shit. <laughs> Two, olive oil sommelier, as he showed a love for all things round and juicy. Okay. Three, bullfighter, as he seemed to like the company of large beasts. Oh, or four, corset maker, as he had a knack for clothing the f larger figured woman. And it is actually one of these. It is actually one of these four choices. I'm going to say bullfighter. Okay, we got one for the bullfighter. Uh, possible but unlikely. I'm going to go for corset maker. 
Corset maker. I'm, all right. I'm going to go with sewer maintenance. Okay. Nobody going for olive oil sommelier. How sad. Uh, the correct answer is, in fact, bullfighter. Ah, Trevor. Wow. Uh, his uncle, in, after his <laughs> after Bolsonaro's died, uh, Bolsonaro's di- uh, father died at a very young age. His uncle decided to in, in, enroll him in a trade school, uh, which taught him how to be a matador. Wow. Uh, he did not, however, complete his training when his uncle finally accepted the fact that he was more interested in drawing the bulls than fighting them. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, and bullfighting with Tauromaki is a huge theme in Botero's art. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And you can check out uh, everything we talked about in this episode at a few of these places I'm about to mention. <laughs> We're on Instagram and Twitter as at Big Fat Gate, at Big Fat Gay Pod. We're on Facebook. Michael's shaking his head. Every time. Every time. Big Fat Gay Podcast. Leave us five stars there. Leave us five stars on Apple and Stitcher. Leave us an Apple review. We haven't gotten any in a while. I said this last week, too. Yeah. Um, Although I will say two people left ratings, which are much appreciated. Reviews even better. Um, Even if you don't want to leave us some actual words, click the damn review button, people. (laughs) We need it. We live for it. Yeah. Um, We're trying to take over the world, the fetosphere. Can only do that with ratings. What yes. Can do tomorrow, Michael. Okay, hold on. Let Try me get through. Let me, let me go. Else. Come on. We're already at like an hour and a half. Um, <laughs> check out the links to the articles we mentioned at www.bigfatgaypod.com. Did I Yay. say that right? Yeah, I probably. That was did. it. You know it at this point. Yeah. Well, maybe you're uh, <laughs> polishing your uh, fertility statues with your oversized towel you bought. Maybe rubbing in some <laughs> of that uh, that lotion we mentioned too. And then um, oh, yeah. <laughs> you flip over one of the statues and it's got Don's face on it and he winks at you. And then uh, Michael clubs you over the head with another <laughs> statue. So <laughs> look out. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. I, was, I was laughing. <laughs> I wasn't looking out for the lookout. That's what happens when you don't look out. <laughs>